Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. And I'm Jeremy Fallis, here because I was told to be. Uh, so today we're discussing an important initiative at Michigan Medicine, the Million Meals Mission, and how it will help the community. Now, before we get into that, make it your mission to get caught up on any episode of The Wrap you may have missed. You can find the shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast hosting platform. New episodes are also available on the Michigan Medicine YouTube channel and as part of the headlines we can review. All right. So on that note, let's bring in Alfreda Rooks and Markel Miller. First, let's have the two of you introduce yourselves a little bit and share a little bit about your role with uh, your respective organization. How about you first, Alfreda? So thank you. Good morning. Um, as Jeremy said, my name is Alfreda Rooks, and I'm the Director of Community Health Services for U of M Health Michigan Medicine. And in my role, I have the department that has programs that are outward facing and community embedded that address social needs, as well as several internal programs that provide support for patients. Hello everyone, I'm Markel Miller. I'm the Director of Community Food Programs at Food Gatherers. We're the food bank serving Washtenaw County. Um, in my role, I oversee all of our programs and partnerships, uh, research and advocacy efforts to help connect members of the community to resources and help ensure that our community is well resourced to serve our neighbors. So Markel, maybe you could take this one. Why is tackling food insecurity such an important challenge in Washtenaw County? Well, food insecurity is one of these issues that impacts so many of our neighbors. And I think a lot of times people can overlook it. They see that prosperity in Washtenaw County. Um, we have very large institutions. We have lots of employers here. And so many people don't understand that food insecurity is something that impacts many of our neighbors, uh, impacts all parts of the county, our urban and rural areas of the county alike. So it's important for people to understand that. And that really helps people understand that this is something that we need to resource and that we need to make sure services are available. And then everyone can have a role in how we're helping neighbors here, right? So is this something that you help connect neighbors to a resource when you hear about someone struggling to make ends meet, they had an unexpected car repair bill and their, their budget's just not gonna stretch that month. Hey, there's a pantry nearby, you can go, that's for you, even if you're working. So neighbors can help dis, you know, dispel myths and connect people to resources. Neighbors can donate their time, they can donate money, they can lend their voice to our advocacy efforts. So there's so many different ways to engage. Uh, and one of our biggest goals in connecting with the community is really helping people to understand that when someone's experiencing food insecurity, that is not something that that individual did wrong. Food insecurity is the cause of all of these uh, systemic issues that are so closely connected, like access to healthcare, like access to well-paying jobs, et cetera. And so when someone's experiencing food insecurity, that's not something to be ashamed of. Um, this is something that unfortunately in our, in our uh, society still happens. And so we wanna make sure people feel comfortable connecting to resources. Alfreda, with the organization uh, as a whole, with a connection with food gatherers in the community, um, how important is this initiative to the organization? And maybe you can give us a little background about how it started. So I would say, I would say that the campaign that we're doing right now is one of the largest that we've ever undertaken. Historically, we have participated with the Michigan Hospital Association's Harvest Food Gathering. Um, we have done other um, programs that support food insecurity. For instance, Ann Arbor Meals on Wheels is a program of Michigan Medicine. And we are the food vendor for Ipsilani Meals on Wheels. And we subsidize um, through a grant from the Community Health Services Department to make sure that those meals are affordable for folks who live in the Ypsilanti area. 
So as I said, we've had a long line of doing this. During the pandemic, I think was really when it became um, urgent and we sponsored and supported um, several community food drives on behalf of um, Michigan Medicine in partnership with food gatherers for food distribution. Um, we also have at Ypsilanti Health Center, Maggie's Market, um, which provides food um, for any of our, our patients and community members who may be experiencing um, food insecurity. But the mission, the Million Meals campaign is integral to how we see our presence in community and addressing the needs of community. Um, it is the brainchild of Tony Denton, who is our senior uh, vice president and chief environmental social governance officer, um, who has been long involved in community um, in addressing social needs within Washtenaw County um, as a previous board member for United Way of Washtenaw County um, and as a current board member for food gatherers. Now, obviously, you know, raising the equivalent of a million meals is an ambitious goal. How far along are we toward reaching that goal? So we have done the equivalent of 300 and over 380,000 meals to date. Um, we are looking to move that carrot needle um, quicker and faster. And so um, this podcast, I think, is one of the ways that we'll be able to bring um, attention to this need in our community, as well as our efforts to um, be a good partner to community um, by partnering with food gatherers on this campaign. Markel, can you maybe explain to us what role uh, food gatherers plays in helping those who face food insecurity and try to, you know, accomplish good things in the community? To you talked about systemic things before. How does that all work together? Absolutely. So, from a day-to-day -day standpoint, our primary role in service to the community is helping connect neighbors who need groceries to a resource today or this week. Um, really trying to fill that emergency, charitable hunger relief role. Um, so what does that look like? We as a food bank have access to lots of different resources. We get uh, donated food from our retail partners as part of our food rescue program, or we're rescuing food that is nutritious and safe and healthy to eat and connecting it to food pantries that we partner with. We also get food from the government. We have some food purchased through a state-funded grant. And then we also purchase with funds we raise, like funds that we're getting from uh, individuals donating through the Michigan Medicine Million Meals campaign, we're able to purchase food. This is really an important part of our strategy right now because neighbors are struggling to make ends meet. Prices are still high at the grocery store. So we have people coming to us more frequently, looking for more food. There was an end in extra COVID payments um, through SNAP recently. People are still getting SNAP, but the benefits have decreased because the extra went away. And Prices are still high for us to purchase food, even though we can get it wholesale um, or discounted prices. So there's a lot of things happening, um, but we figure that out all, all on the back end and we make sure all of our community partners have the food they need to serve their neighbors. And so when someone needs food, they can often go to a place that they're familiar with or they know of through word of mouth. That's still the most common way people connect with resources, right? Um, but we do also keep a map on our website up to date it's searchable, it's filterable, there's also a list. We really wanna make sure that the information is available to everyone, whether that's an individual looking for a service or someone trying to help someone, whether that's a, you know, a family member or a neighbor or a friend trying to help someone, uh, a caseworker, uh, an employee, et cetera. So we really wanna make sure that information is available. We also recognize some people like to chat about their circumstances and they may not know which program is the right fit for them. So during our business hours, people are welcome to call us 
and chat with a person on our team and try to figure out the best fit program. And that's often what happens if someone's in a crisis and needs an, a resource really quickly, who can we get, connect them to now? And then what's the best plan moving forward to help sure, uh, make sure that they have resources um, and don't find themselves in that crisis situation again. So obviously food gatherers is a huge operation. Uh, you know, when we're asking someone to donate right to that operation and really to make a difference, I think it's important to talk about how that money is specifically being used. Can you sort of walk us through the process from the time, you know, I donate to food gatherers to the time food shows up on somebody's table? Absolutely. So um, a lot of information is also uh, in our annual report, which is available on our website through our most recent winter newsletter. Um, but what that looks like is a lot of our food um, we get that's, like I said, it's donated to us. So whether that's our retail rescue program um, or food that comes in through food drives um, or through other retailers. That food, though, is not free for us to get, right? The food itself may be free, but we have to pay our employees a good wage. We have to pay for our rent, you know, our utilities, insurance, all of that stuff, though those costs of doing business. Um, we're very efficient, we're very effective, um, but there are still operational costs even to move the donated product. And then it's a really important part of our strategy to have the variety and volume of foods that we know neighbors want. We have a nutrition policy in place that prioritizes the sourcing of fresh produce, dairy, and meat, because we know that's what neighbors want. And so all of those extra specific products cost more money sometimes. And so we need the resources to be able to go out and purchase that or pay for the freight on a donated truckload of produce on a donated truckload of milk. So all of those resources go in and that's how we bring the food in. Um, we are able through our service model to provide all of this food in almost every partnership with a couple of exceptions uh, to our partners at no cost to them. So a community run food pantry which sometimes struggles with fundraising can then get the food they need uh, to serve the community at no cost um, because of uh, our fundraising efforts. Um, and so that's kind of how that, that support looks. That, that model is really important to us. We recognize there are some really important cornerstone programs that honestly are older than food gatherers. And we wanna make sure they have the resources they need, even if they're volunteer run and don't, having, don't have a grants manager on staff. Um, we want to make sure we can direct adequate resources to those those really um, well-run programs. Well, thank you for that background. That is super helpful. I think that's a lot, you know a lot of those questions that people have. They want to make sure that they're able to help people and make sure that um, you know that the money is going to a good place. And it seems like Food Gatherers is doing a wonderful job of that. Uh, Alfreda, from on the organizational side, if our listeners want to help support the Million Meals mission, how can they do so? And, and what's the next next step for our listeners to take? So one of the things that they can do is we have a web link, which I will share with you um, following the podcast, where people can go and donate. They can also buy food um, and take it to food gatherers to donate as a donation. Um, and what we really want to make sure that we're doing is that we are able to provide um, the meals that support not just our community, but our patients because they're in a community too. And so this is an opportunity for folks who are external to Michigan medicine um, to be able to support their friends and neighbors and, and loved ones in many instances. Yeah. Alfreda, before we, we um, move on from this conversation, can you just reflect a little bit? You mentioned that, you know, the, the food drives really picked up during the pandemic. 
And I know that we did multiple food drives time and again, and we had, you know, the loading dock at, at NCRC and, and, and things like that. And just the, the, the outpouring of support that we got from the Michigan medicine community was amazing. Can you just reflect a little bit about, you know, what that support has been like so far to this point? And maybe is there something to be said about, you know, people who go into healthcare, they really want to help people. And this just sort of fits right in with that, you know, that this is just an extra way outside of their daily work life to help people. Um, that's very true. Um, we did recognize during the pandemic that for the first time, there were people who had never had to ask for help before who needed help. And they were sometimes they were our colleagues, sometimes they were our our neighbors and our family, our friends. Um, and so it became very important to us to live our mission. And that is that we want to encourage health and support. Um, but more importantly, we want to make sure that people have the resources they need um, to be healthy and sustained. Um, and that's what food does. I, I always feel like it's a privilege for me to work in an institution that recognizes that our care is not just inside the four walls of the hospital, but external in the community too. I'm also privileged to work at an institution where when we put a call out for support, it is overwhelmingly responded to, which means that we have programs that really and truly have impact in community. And with Tony's new role um, as the chief social, excuse me, chief environmental and social governance officer, this is just an extension of the work that we do um, and that social piece of his title. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that insight and Markel for sharing the important information about food gatherers and how you help those across the community. Now, Alfreda, as you know, your work here isn't done yet. It's time for your favorite feature, the lightning round. You ready to go? I'm ready. I'm going to take it on. I'm going to win this time. All right. Yes, you are. <laughs> All right. So this week, of course, includes May the 4th. Uh, Alfreda, are you into Star Wars? I know that May the 4th be with you. All right. So, so uh, maybe you could tell us what your favorite movie is, or you could tell us what your favorite Star Wars movie is. All right. My favorite movie of all times is Shawshank Redemption. Whenever it's on, I'm watching it. Love it. All right. We've talked a lot about helping the community today, and that's obviously a huge part of your job description. So what would you say is the most satisfying part of your daily work? Oh, that is hard everything. Um, I am blessed to be in a role that helps me live my own personal mission statement, um, which is to ensure that anyone who comes in contact with me um, never feels less than, but greater than. And so these programs and the services that we provide in community, um, every day I get to live that mission and I get excited. I'm just privileged to be in a place. Okay, so let's go in the opposite direction from focusing on your daily work. I'm sure you're wondering what this question is going to be, but if you were to retire tomorrow, what is the first thing you're going to do? Um, if I were to retire tomorrow, um, the first thing that I would do is find another job for my husband so that I can have <laughs> my peace and quiet. Send him on a trip. Keep him very busy. Uh, all right. <laughs> now, this week in headlines, employees participated in the fourth annual virtual art fair 
Do you have any artistic ability? And, and if so, what is it? I am very good at drawing stick figures. Um, I feel that that is my gift and I draw them very well. <laughs> Thank you, Alfreda. That is, that's a, <laughs> it's a challenge. I I appreciate that. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for joining us today and sharing all this wonderful information. And thanks again to Markel for joining us and letting us know more about what Food Gatherers does in the community. Uh, be sure to stay tuned to Headlines for regular updates on the Million Meals mission. You're going to be able to find that on mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. All right. Now, while you're at Headlines, you can check out featured stories from this week. On top of the previously mentioned, mentioned virtual art fair, there was a closer look behind the team leading the way during the building of the new D. Dan and Betty Kahn Healthcare Pavilion. And faculty, staff, and patients dressed up as their favorite superheroes for Superhero Day at Mott. Find all that and more at mmheadlines.org. Dan, are you ready for this? I'm ready. What do you all got right, this for week me? You know, this weekend is the Kentucky Derby, one yep. of the biggest sporting events every year. Uh, and I know you're a huge sports fan. So what would you say is the coolest sporting event you've ever been to? Ooh, that's a good question. And actually, this is interesting because I just uh, was in Louisville a few weeks ago and drove past Churchill Downs. And I had never been been over there. And it's just this huge venue. But it's also just like right in downtown Louisville. It's interesting. Um, what's the coolest sporting event I've ever been to? Um, so obviously, um, for a podcast that, that runs it at U of M, I could say a couple U of M football games that I've been to the win over Ohio state, not this past year, but the year before, um, was incredible. Um, that led to their first playoff game. Um, and I actually went to that. I went to the orange bowl when they played Georgia in the, the college football playoff. Now the result of that one wasn't that exciting. So I'm not going to put that at the top of the list. I guess I'm going to go with, um, in 2006, I went to game two of the World Series for the Tigers against the Cardinals, and that was pretty awesome. Um, baseball is probably my favorite sport. Um, so, and that's the only game the Tigers have won when they've been in the World Series in the past few decades. So, that was definitely a memory I will uh, remember forever. How about you? Have you been to any cool sporting events? Uh, I, I've, I've been very fortunate to, to to travel and go to many different ones. And I, I actually picked two, one that is personal, that's probably not objectively interesting to anybody else but me. But the last time that St. Joe's beat Villanova, it was at, you know, in at Hagen Arena in Philadelphia. They won by 17 and it was never really closer than like 25 until the very end. That was that's very definitely cool. of no interest to anyone but you. No, no interest, but to me, um, and, but the, probably the coolest one objectively, um, I was fortunate to go to the, you know, uh, you know, the 1994 world cup was here the men's world cup was hosted in the United States. And, um, I got to go to four or five games. And the one that I, sticks out the most is definitely the knockout match between Italy and Nigeria. Uh, it was in Foxborough, Massachusetts, Nigeria scored early. They were the underdogs, Italy tied it somewhat in the second half. And then it went to extra time. And Roberto Baggio uh, converted a penalty kick in extra time, um, which would be a little bit of foreshadowing because Italy would make it all the way to the final and eventually lose to Brazil on his missed penalty kick in the Rose Bowl. But that was a very cool atmosphere. Um, the goals that happened all happened in our side of the field. In our corner, we were like eight rows off from the field. It was very, very cool. I like how you just rattled that off. Like That was a sporting event 30 years ago, and you just like rattled off all the details. That was, that was impressive. I'm um, old. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time for the weekly trivia contest. First, congratulations to nurse Kelly Torianen, who sent in last week's correct answer, which was that the patient experience week theme was we are better together. 
Kelly, a member of the Department of Communication, will be in touch shortly to help you claim your prize. Now for this week's question, here's Jeremy. This week's question is, which team recently celebrated going more than 1,000 days without a patient safety event? Once again, which team celebrated going more than 1,000 days without a patient safety event? If you know the answer, you can go to headlines to find it out if you don't already know it. And then once you do, send it to headlines at med.umich.edu for a chance to win a prize. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Markel and Alfreda, for joining us. And thanks, as always, to all of our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.